We're going through Mark's gospel. Most of you know that. We're taking a journey here through Mark, and we come today to these verses that we read together. And some of you who are paying really close attention might have noticed that we've skipped over uh, some verses. Uh, Last week, we we left off teaching in, uh, I think it was uh, verse something like... uh, you know, verse 34. And, and today we're picking up in verse 46. And the reason we left off is because we already covered those other verses in a previous study. So didn't want to go back and uh, cover the same ground. So we're picking up with this story that we read here today. And I've entitled the message, The Faith of a Blind Man, because that's, of course, what we see in the story. Now, let's just get the context. Jesus is toward the end of his final journey to Jerusalem. He's actually toward the end of his public ministry. And now he's coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to Jerusalem from up in the north. So he's coming along the Jordan from Galilee And he arrives at Jericho. Now, Jericho is about 15 miles east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. It's just right uh, there, almost on the Dead Sea. And um, so that's the path that that Jesus would have taken from up in the north. He would have made the journey uh, down to that area and now paused for a bit in Jericho before going up to Jerusalem. Uh, when we go on our on our trips to Israel, we take that very same route. So you know, we spend the first part of our uh, time up in the northern part of the country. Then we take that same road right along the Jordan. You're just kind of following it all the way down, and then eventually you come to Jer- uh, to Jericho. So Jericho is a modern city, and it's there where the ancient cities. There were two uh, ancient cities of Jericho, and So this is where Jesus came on his way to Jerusalem. So it is about 10 days to two weeks before his rejection, betrayal, conviction, and execution upon the cross. So as he passes through Jericho, there's this man, this blind beggar, and he is the son of Timaeus, And he hears that it is Jesus of Nazareth that is passing by. And as he hears that, he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is very interesting, the way he addresses Jesus. So let's talk for a minute about Bartimaeus. So so here's this man. Imagine his plight. So he's blind. He was probably blind most of his life, if not his whole life. Uh, we don't know for sure, but but he's sitting there in the darkness, and more than likely he's uh, being overlooked. He's being ignored by most people, and I think we could safely assume that he, for at least many many years, lived without hope that things could ever change. I mean, what you know, what hope would you have? There was certainly no remedy to his blindness, as far as he knew. And uh, he's in this condition where this is just his life. He's sitting by the side of the road. Uh, Man, I'll tell you, at certain times of the year, it is hot in Jericho too. And uh, this would have been about April, 
but you know, th- this was his life. It was a it was a miserable situation, to say the least. But perhaps recently, uh, something else began to take place as he sat in that darkness. It seems possible that he had heard the stories of what Jesus was doing all around the country. Now, remember, this is the end of the public ministry of Jesus coming to an end just a couple of weeks out. So for three years, Jesus has been going up in the, you know, the length of the country, the breadth of the country, and he's been preaching the gospel. He's been healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead. And I think based upon the response of this man that he's heard about some of those things. And so it could be that he's been in his own mind uh, just hoping and praying and waiting for the day that Jesus might pass by him as he sat begging. Now, why do I say that? I say that because when they tell him Jesus of Nazareth has come, he cries out to Jesus as the son of David. Now, you wouldn't naturally make that connection. Nazareth um, and uh, David had no connection. Uh, David was from Bethlehem. And everybody thought uh, the Messiah surely will come from Bethlehem. But this man, when he cries out, Jesus, son of David, he is actually, he, he is confessing Jesus as the Messiah. So somehow in his mind, as he sat in that darkness, and as he hears all the hustle and bustle and rustle that's going on around him, and, and all of the activity that's taking place, and he's, so what, what is it? Who, what's happening? What's going on? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he suddenly just cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, as he does this, Notice the crowd. They seek to silence him. So many rebuked him, verse 48, and told him to be quiet. Be quiet. Just, you know, this, just shut up. <laughs> that, that's what they've been saying. Get up, you old blind beggar. Get out, you know, don't bother Jesus. What does he do? He's not deterred. He shouts all the more. Good for him. <laughs> hey, he knows no, nobody else is going to help me. Nobody's ever helped me. This is my one moment. They, these guys are trying to, to shut me up. No way. And he shouts all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love that. Now, uh, look, look at the, the crowd. This is so great. Because it says, Jesus stopped and said, call him so... They call to the blind man, hey, cheer up. Get on your feet. He's calling you. And he probably says, oh, shut up, you guys. You know, a minute ago, you were telling me to be quiet and get out of here. Now they're like, oh, hey, he wants to talk to you. But, of course, the man was going to seize the moment. And so he does. And what happens? Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately received a sight. And he followed Jesus along the road. 
So this is such a, a wonderful story. And I want to look at it from this angle. So Bartimaeus, four things happened here. Number one, he believed. He believed. He put all of this stuff together in his head. He can't see anything, but he's putting all the pieces together. Jesus of Nazareth, he's heard in Jericho, no doubt people have talked about this. And so he believes that this person must be the Messiah. There couldn't be any other explanation, the things that he's doing, the things that he's hearing about. So he believes, and what does he do in a, in, uh, as a result of that? He cries out. When the moment comes, he's not going to miss out on this. He cries out, and then thirdly, he persisted. He persisted, and then finally, he received. So I want to kind of just walk through that. So he believed that Jesus could help him. He believed it. Now, here's a question. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus can help us? Do we really believe that Jesus can help us? You know, not everyone really does believe it. We say that we believe, but, but do we really believe? You know, there's, there are many Christians that just don't believe. For, for a variety of reasons. But, but, I mean, you know, we understand that the people outside of the church don't believe. That's why they're outside, because they haven't believed. But it's hard to understand why it would be that people in the church don't believe. But unbelief among Christians is a reality, and it's not anything new. It, it, it's happened many times over and in many places throughout the long history of the church. In her little book called How I Know God Answers Prayer, Rosalind Goforth. Um, Rosalind and her husband, Jonathan, were missionaries in China and um, parts of, of Korea um, back in the early part of the 20th century. And they experienced so many amazing answers to prayer that she thought to write a book about it. But something happened. And she writes about this in the foreword to the book that she finally did write. She, she told of her reluctance to write on answered prayer because of the unbelief she encountered from Christians when she had verbally communicated some of the testimonies. So she would tell people the stories of answered prayer and she would be met with obvious unbelief. So finally she just thought, why would I write a book? They don't believe when I'm telling them the story. So I'm going to put all this effort into writing a book. So uh, she just sort of pulled back on the idea. But she, she explained it like this. She said, when in Canada on our first furlough, they were Canadians, um, I was frequently amazed at the incredulity expressed when definite testimony was given to an answer to prayer. Sometimes this was shown by an expressive shrug of the shoulders, sometimes by a sudden silence or turning of the topic of conversation, and sometimes more openly by the question, how do you know that it might not have happened so anyway? I mean, how do you know that it wasn't just a coincidence that this happened? Gradually, the impression deepened. If they will not believe one, two, or a dozen testimonies, will they believe the combined testimonies of one whole life? 
So she's about to pour out her heart and tell the stories of what God has done in in her life and in the life of her husband and her family on the mission field. But because she meets with all of this skepticism among Christians, she just says, I'm not going to do it. She's not going to make herself that vulnerable. Uh, In the end, she did write the book. The Lord put her in a situation and made it clear to her that she needed to do it. It's a great book, How I Know God Answers Prayer. You can get it on Amazon today. It's a fantastic little book. But the, but the point is this. Um, Bartimaeus believed against all of the odds. He believed. He heard about Jesus of Nazareth. He heard about what Jesus was doing. And in his mind, he said, this is the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes to town, he's like, the Messiah is here in his mind. Jesus, son of David. You know, most people weren't calling Jesus son of David. They were apprehensive about doing that. And it's when Jesus, in the next chapter, as we get to it, when Jesus makes what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and everybody's shouting to the son of David, the religious leaders are flipping their lids or tell them to be quiet, tell them not to say that. Jesus said, if they hold their peace, the stones will cry out. He was the son of David. But Bartimaeus gets that and... As I said, he believes. So is something silencing or hindering you from crying out to the Lord? Now, they tried to silence him, but he wouldn't have it. He's going to cry out. But, you know, sometimes that can happen to us. We, we might find ourselves in a, in a dark place. We might find ourselves with some sort of blindness, so to speak. And, and we know that we need help, but we don't cry out. Why not? Well, sometimes it's just simple unbelief. I just don't think God will help me with this situation or this problem. Now, unbelief resides in our hearts. And there are those times when it is the very thing that is keeping back the blessing of God. Jesus went to Nazareth, it says, and it says in the city of Nazareth, this is when he was grown up, uh, he went back to the place where he was raised and it says that he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. He wanted to do things there, but he couldn't because they were like, what, what, you know, wait, this is the son of the carpenter. We know this person. We know his family members. Uh, who, who could he be? And it was their unbelief that that. Pre- Uh, prevented the blessing. And so it could be unbelief on our part. We've got serious things going on, but we just simply in our hearts, we just say, well, I I just don't know. I just don't think God uh, can help me with this. It might be unbelief. It might come from people. You know, I have found that sometimes Christians are the most well-intended, but totally misguided and discouraging lot around, you know, you ever tell another Christian about something, man, God's put this on my heart and I believe he's doing this. And, and you know, you're pointing out and they're like, no, I don't think that's the Lord. No, I don't, I don't believe it. No, you shouldn't, you shouldn't really pursue that. I mean, that, that's not God. God's not going to do that for you. You're like, wow, thanks brother. Man, I am so encouraged. <laughs> Happens so often. A personal story almost 40 years ago when Cheryl and I got engaged um, and she began to tell people that she was getting married. She was engaged and she was in 
university at the time. She was going to UCI at the time. And, you know, people are like, oh, you don't want to do that. But what about your education? Well, what's your fiance do? Oh, he's like a surfer who has a plumbing job on the side. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That can't be God's will. No way. Cheryl, you got to stay in college. You got to get your degree. That's what God wants for you. Now, you know, she was excited about being engaged. But man, they just took the wind right out of her sails with that great kind of encouragement. Christians will do that sometimes. God's not concerned about those kinds of things. They might say, don't bother going to him with that. So you got unbelief in our own hearts. You got people. And you know what? Demons, uh, they want to silence you too. Demons don't want you crying out to the Lord. And, And so what happens here is as you are looking to cry out to God as you're believing that, you know, he's going to answer you. You know what? The demons come along. They say, uh, why would God listen to you? You're not a very good Christian. I mean, after all, think of all your sins. This is what the demons do. And we can think of lots of sins, right? And then where are we at? Like, wow, probably not. Why why would I cry out to God? He, He doesn't want to hear from me. But listen, this guy, he shows us what to do. <laughs> Whenever something is seeking to silence us from calling out to the Lord, whether it's our own unbelieving hearts or it's people around us, well-intended but misguided, or it's the, the enemy himself, we just got to just shout all the more. That's the message. Shout all the more. Listen, you need to know this. I need to know this. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, it's kind of a trivial matter. I don't want to uh, bother God with that. Listen, remember, everything is small to God. Everything is small to God. Everything. I mean, the universe is small to God. Scripture says that he, he holds the universe in the span of his hand. So sometimes we think, you know, sometimes we think, you know, this is too big for God. But I, I think most of the time as Christians, we kind of figure that, well, God can do big stuff. But sometimes I think even more frequently, we think this is too small for God. But it's not. Because everything's small to God. Doesn't matter. Jesus, you remember Jesus said this. He said, a sparrow can't fall to the ground without your father's consent. Now, a, a sparrow is pretty small. I mean, we would think, you know, pretty insignificant. There's all kinds of sparrows. You can see them anywhere and everywhere. And, and yet not one of them can drop to the ground without God's consent. You think God is not concerned about small things? And remember, Jesus said, listen, God takes care of the birds. Aren't you more valuable than they are? We are. We are the ones made in the image of God. We are the children of God. So let's not fall into that trap of thinking that we shouldn't bother God with these things. No, we need to cry out to the Lord. And and I want to say this, and I'm going to emphasize it more as we go on. But listen, God answers prayer. And God will answer your prayer. But you might say, but I've been praying for so long. He hasn't answered it yet. Keep praying. Keep praying. God will answer our prayers. He always does. Now, sometimes 
the, the answer is in the affirmative. It's just, this is what we've been praying for. And man, this is exactly what God did. Sometimes we're praying for it and God did something. It wasn't what we thought necessarily, but we know God did something. Uh, you know, I've had times in prayer where God has told me no. But you know what? It's okay. If God tells me no, I don't even mind. I just am happy that God's told me something. Because, you know, when God's speaking to you, you know that God is there. It, so don't get hung up on the prayer having to be exactly the way you imagined it being fulfilled. Recognize that prayer will be answered and be open to whatever way God answers it. Now, that takes me to the point. Persistent prayer means answered prayer. Persistent prayer means answered prayer. Jesus said, keep on asking. Or, or he said, he said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks to, to them it is open. And he says, and the tense in the original language is keep on doing it. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Persistence in prayer. We're encouraged to persist in prayer, to persevere in prayer over and over and over again. Remember the story that Jesus told in Luke 18. He tells a story, it's a, it's a parable, uh, but Luke tells us that, that he told the story with this in mind. This was his objective, that people should always pray and not lose heart. And so he tells a story, you remember, uh, of, a, of a widow. She's called the persistent widow. And she comes to an unjust judge and she says, uh, avenge my cause. And Jesus tells a story, the unjust judge is like, he doesn't really care about her cause, but because she's just pestering him day and night, he's like, you know, I gotta get rid of this woman. She's driving me nuts. So I'm gonna do what she asked me to do. Jesus said, that's the case with the unjust judge, but your father is just. He's good. He's righteous. And so how much more will your good father not, uh, or how much more uh, can you expect him to respond to you when you cry out to him? And he says he will do it, and he will do it speedily. So this is a message in scripture. Persistent prayer means answered prayer but we've got to persevere. Now, I know people that have been praying for things for decades. I know people, I, I know people that have been praying for their wayward children for decades. Man, there's, sometimes you just feel like, is there any hope? It doesn't seem like anything's happening. Some friends after the first service message told me the story of how they uh, would go over and uh, visit this elderly uh, lady and her husband, I think it was her husband, he would be there. And for seven years, they would go talk to her. She was a Christian. They'd talk about the Lord. The husband would sit in, he'd listen, and they'd think, wow, you know, he seems like he's getting really close. And at the end, they'd always ask him, so are, would you like to receive Jesus? Oh, are you kidding? Absolutely not. I'm not interested in any of this stuff. For seven years, the lady passed away. The man fell ill. And uh, through, through a set of circumstances, two weeks ago, they led him to the Lord on his deathbed. God touched him. But they said, they told me, they said, we prayed for him every day. That's persistent prayer. 
So, you know, whatever it is, Bartimaeus, of course, was blind. He was sitting in the dark. He was a beggar. But whatever your circumstance is, you know, maybe it is a wayward child. Maybe it is a strained uh, family situation. Maybe it is an economic catastrophe. What, whatever it is, all of these things are realities that we, that we deal with in this life. But listen, persist in prayer. Keep praying. God will come through. And he'll come through with the right thing, whatever it might be. So persistent prayer means answered prayer. A woman named Mary Slessor. Mary Slessor was a a Scottish Presbyterian. And she was a missionary to Nigeria. Again, back in the 1800s. She came out of a church in Dundee, Scotland. So last year when we were in Dundee doing an outreach there, um, a number of churches in the community partnered with us to do the Creation Fest outreach there in the town center. And the church that Mary Slessor came from was one of the churches that partnered with us. So I thought, wow, that's amazing. Because I'd read Mary's story from years ago, a great missionary testimony. But anyway, as I said, so she's a Scottish missionary to Nigeria. And she was asked to tell what prayer uh, had meant to her throughout her life. So she wrote this, listen. She said, my life is one long daily, hourly record of answered prayer for physical health, for mental overstrain, for guidance given marvelously, for errors and dangers averted, for enmity to the gospel subdued, for food provided at the exact hour needed, for everything that goes to make up life and my poor service. I can testify with a full and often wonder-stricken awe that I believe God answers prayer. I know God answers prayer for everything. Now, now Mary Slessor was a, a missionary to Nigeria in the, ni- in the um, 1800s early 1900s. And of course, Nigeria then um, was a very primitive environment, a very difficult and challenging environment, as you can imagine. And you know, it seems like the people that experience most frequently that answer prayer are the people who don't have uh, all of this other stuff, you know, sort of propping them up or... or uh, causing them to depend on these other things. They have to depend on the Lord. And what they find is that God is true. God is faithful. And I think one of our problems, you know, people ask me a lot of times, does God still work miracles? We never see miracles. Does that still happen today? Or did that end, you know, back in Bible times? It still happens today, but sometimes uh, it's, it's not happening around us because we have too many things that we're trusting in. And isn't it true that it's oftentimes when I get stripped of everything, then I actually begin to hear God. I actually begin to see God when I'm not trusting in the things around me. We have developed a culture that has, in some senses, eliminated the need for God. Now, of course, we haven't eliminated the need for God. Our very breath is in his hand. But we, we've developed a culture that is so thorough at 
taking care of our difficulties and problems that we rarely think to turn to God. And this is something that we even do as Christians. We, we, we do this. We trust in these other things. But, it, but it's when we get stripped of that type of stuff, then suddenly we're crying out to God like Bartimaeus was. And guess what we see? He's coming through. It's amazing. So if we're not experiencing uh, answered prayer, if we're not sensing that the Lord is with us, maybe it's because we're not really depending on him and not really consistently calling out to him. Now, you know, somebody who I know personally who does this is my wife. She's amazing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times a day Cheryl will just say to me in the course of conversation, this is just the way she talks. Uh, you know, she'll be telling me something. She said, and then the Lord spoke this to me. You know, I was reading my Bible and the Lord spoke that to me. Or, uh, you know, I was making the spaghetti and I just felt like the Lord said, pour this in it. <laughs> I said, wow, thank you, Lord. This is really good spaghetti. Thank you for helping Cheryl with that. But, you know, the other day she, um, she just, I, I was downstairs. I was actually down reading my Bible and I heard all this noise upstairs. You know, I hear her shuffling around and stuff. So I'm thinking, oh gosh, she's got a project going. And of course, when she gets a project going, the next thing is, Brian, come and help me with this project. So anyway, I hear her shuffling around and I guess what she's doing. I figured, oh no, she's wallpapering the bedroom. That's what she's doing. Because I saw she asked me about some wallpaper. Then I saw it show up in the, you know, came to the door, their UPS. So, okay, here we go. So anyway, to make a long story short, she gets it all done. I go upstairs and it's like our room looks absolutely amazing. It's like unbelievable. This it's, it's looked like a brand new model home or something. And, and I'm looking at the wallpaper job, and I'm like, honey, that is just so amazing. How did you get this? Well, you know, I just prayed. I was just like, Lord, um, help me get this, and help me do that. And you know what? She really does that. That's, that's the way she lives her life. And God answers that. That's what Mary Schlesser's talking about here. She's on the mission field doing it. Charles and Costa Mesa doing it. <laughs> Lots of people are doing it. But, but the point is, let's do it. This is, this is, God wants us to cry out to him. Everybody wanted Bartimaeus to shut up. Jesus didn't want him to shut up. Jesus said, call that man over here. What do you want? I want to see. Okay, your faith has made you well. You see, that's faith. So are we going to live in a world where we have access to the supernatural and to the intervention of God in our lives and not take advantage of it? Or are we going to recognize, you know what? I can call on the Lord. I can call on the Lord for these things. That's what we need to do. Because listen, nothing else is going to meet the need. There, there are things that just cannot be healed or helped or solved or whatever, they, they, it can't happen without the intervention of God. You know, this past week I was, uh, it was yesterday, as a matter of fact, I was um, looking on Twitter. And um, a few weeks ago when I was in Chicago, I went to the uh, White Sox baseball game because Jerry Reinsdorf, who's the owner of the team, uh, a friend of mine who pastors there, he had a connection. And so since we're doing a leadership class, he spoke to us a little bit on that. And so we had a nice time at the game. He owns the, the Chicago Bulls as well. And so I took a picture and I posted it. 
uh, of Jerry. And then somehow, you know, he saw it on, on social media thing. And then, so he started following me. So I'm being followed on Twitter by the owner of the White Sox. (laughs) Just wanted you to know how, how cool I really am. That's not why I told you that. (laughs) But he, um, so yesterday, he, he tweeted something out that was really fascinating. So he just has this little tweet and is basically saying, I've spent my whole life, you know, uh, living for money, trying to make money. He's a multimillionaire. Uh, I've made lots of money. He kind of goes on and on and on with it. And he says, but man, I am so damn empty. And I just thought, well, this is waiting for a response. You know, <laughs> nobody puts that out there that's not expecting somebody to say something. So, you know, I just shot back uh, just a, a quote from Augustine that said, um, you know, it's, it was a prayer to God. Um, God, we were created by you and for you, and our hearts and souls are restless until we find our rest in you. So I just, I just tweeted that back. And he comes right back at me with a quote from uh, C. Montgomery Burns, whoever that is. And it was basically saying, well, I will take, uh, I will put my trust in the dollar over that. Um, and, and I just went back and said, well, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, you'd think that the dollar was going to satisfy, but you already said it's not. So think about that. <laughs> that was the end of my conversation with him intentionally. I just thought, I, you know, I'm not going to go any further with that. I mean, it's not, I don't want to get in a debate or anything. I, I just wanted to throw that out. But a friend of mine uh, who pastors in Chicago, they're friends. So I wanted to say, Jerry, I ought to talk to James about this. But I didn't want to engage James, you know, without his permission. So I just, I just sort of left it at that. But why am I telling that story? I'm telling that story because, you know, so often we're looking to other things, thinking that, you know, my help's going to come from here. This is the solution. This is the answer. No, it's not. There's one answer, and it's Jesus. And it's crying out to God. And don't be discouraged because maybe there's a delay in the response. Just keep doing it. Persevere through it because the answer is coming. The answer is coming. If you're in darkness, cry to Jesus. If you're tempted to be silent, shout louder. Just do it because the answer is coming. That's what I want you to know today. The answer is coming. The Bible says it over and over again. God answers prayer. He doesn't not answer prayer. He answers prayer. Sometimes he says, no, that's the answer. Sometimes he says something that's not what we thought. You know, I've had friends that we prayed for people that have been sick and, uh, we prayed that they would be healed because we thought that was the right thing. And, uh, God didn't heal them. And they, went to heaven. They went to be with the Lord. And, you know, in the end, some, somebody would say, oh, well, God didn't answer the prayer. No, God did answer the prayer. He answered it like this. This is what his plan was. 
And so what we need to know, just like Bartimaeus had that faith and that confidence that as he cried out, Jesus was going to, he was going to help him. We need to remember that to keep praying because the answer is coming. You might, you might've been praying for a long time. And when you're praying for a long time, you, you can lose heart. But that's what Jesus said. Don't lose heart. Keep praying. Remember that woman who was nagging that judge. And and just keep doing it. Keep it up. Because persistent prayer is answered prayer. Now, there's one prayer that gets answered just like that. There's one. And the one prayer that gets answered is the prayer for mercy in the sense of, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, and forgive my sin and be my savior. There's no delay to that prayer, in the answer to that prayer. The Lord answers that prayer instantly. Whenever you do that, And so just as we close today, maybe you're here and maybe you are a person who you've never called out to the Lord in that way. Maybe something inside of you has just kept you silent. Maybe it's even uh, like this idea that, well, I don't think God would really receive me. I don't think God could forgive me. You know what? Don't be silent. Cry out. You know, maybe it's people around you. Say, oh, you don't want to believe that. You don't want to be a Christian. What? Oh, no, man, that's, you don't want that. That's, uh, that's not good. Just don't go there. No, don't, don't listen to that voice. S- silence that, that voice and take that step of faith. And, and again, as I said earlier, there are uh, spiritual beings. There are, there are forces that would come and say to you, no, you can't, you, your sins can't be forgiven. You've been too sinful or whatever it might be. Just ignore all of that and and cry out to the Lord. Just say, just like Bartimaeus did, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, Messiah, savior of the world. That's who Jesus is. Just have mercy on me. And I promise you this, he will. He will do that. He will meet you right where you're at this very moment. And he will speedily answer that prayer by coming and forgiving your sins, taking up residence in your life and giving you a new start in life. So Lord, we thank you that that is true. We thank you for this great story that reminds us of how faithful you are to hear and to respond to our cries. And so Lord, here today, would you do that among us? And Lord, I pray for those who just have burdens and challenges and heartache and difficulty and and all of those things that have got them down. And for those that have maybe lost heart in their prayer, Lord, help us to persevere in prayer. Help us to be persistent with the confidence that in your timing, you will answer these prayers. We pray that, Lord. And Lord, I pray if there's a single person with us today or a person uh, listening over the radio or somebody watching online, whatever it might be, Lord, if there's someone there that is sitting in the darkness of sin, 
the blindness of their own sinful lifestyle. Lord, let them know today, the moment they cry out, you're there to do for them what they're longing for, to give them a new life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.